0: In every episode of Dash of Grit, we talk about what you have to do to get through to the next side, all the extra work, all the extra strife, all the troubles, all the trials, all the struggles. Sometimes you got to ask for help. Mental health is a real thing. And we're going to talk about it next with Dan Flowers. This is a Dash of Grit. Recipes for success from courageous leaders who overcome challenges and build great things. Now, podcasting from Spire to leaders in local communities like yours, here is Brian Leflock. And let's get cooking. Folks, grit takes on a lot of things, and sometimes grit is about the people that you serve. And there are amazing things happening in the Akron-Canton region at the Akron-Canton Food Bank. And the gentleman that runs the Akron-Canton Food Bank shows a lot of grit every single day especially with all the logistics issues that are happening now and and the health issues, just trying to feed the masses, but also in his own life. And we're gonna talk about that in just a little bit with my new friend, Dan Flowers. He's the president and CEO at the Akron Canton Regional Food Bank. He is making a difference through grit and you're about to hear his story. Dan, welcome to Dash of Grit.
1: Oh, thank you, Brian good to be with you today and uh you know shout out uh, to everybody who tunes in today lots of love from the food bank and uh, hopefully we'll have a rich conversation that um you know may may be helpful i hope hope to some people that, that listen
0: Yeah. You know what I think about this show, Dan? I'll just say it now. I think if one person finds it helpful, it's worth it. And if a 100,000 people find it helpful, it wasn't any more work on our part. It just touched a bunch of people. And so I'm really happy. And I think probably you think of it that way too. And, And with that being said, let's talk about the great things that are happening at the Akron Canton Food Bank. You guys are taking care of business and you're making a difference. Tell me a little bit about that effort and what you guys are accomplishing there.
1: Sure, sure. Well, just kind of a basic overview. Uh, the Akron Canton Regional Food Bank is the source of emergency food for 600 soup kitchens, homeless shelters, food pantries, primarily faith-based food pantries, across eight counties of Northeast Ohio: Medina, Summit, Portage, Wayne, Stark, Tuscarawas, Carroll, uh, and Holmes counties. And we collect typically, you know, before the pandemic, um, you know, we got almost all of our food from uh, donations from the manufacturing sector uh, for the grocery business. And uh, then we would bring those donations to our food bank and then we would sort of uh, distribute them from our location here in Akron. And we have a brand new food bank that we just built down on uh, Cherry Avenue in Canton. Uh, and then charities would, you know, essentially place orders off our website and take that food back and they give it away to about 250,000 people a year. Wow. That we reach. That's an unduplicated count, you know, so every day, every day, you know, every day,
0: 250,000 or is a total 250? What's the difference it, there?
1: That's 250,000 unduplicated clients per year.
0: Wow. You know,
1: so um, now, and the average person comes about six times in a year, you know, so you can multiply that out. It's a, it's quite a few visits. Uh, every day, thousands of people going to food pantries and homeless shelters, uh, being served in residential treatment facilities, and almost all of the food distributed uh, from all of those locations it comes through the African Regional Food Bank. Here in our community, we are one of 200 Feeding America member food banks around the country, uh, and um, you know we've become over the years uh, the largest human service agency in the region that we serve. And we did a total of about 60 million dollars worth of business last year. So wow. it's, it's growing quite a bit.
0: And what's the biggest challenge? We talk about grit. What's the biggest challenge in, in your role? Because there is the logistics of getting it to the other distribution centers. There's the acquisition of the food in the first place. There's getting it out to the people to use it, which is where the end result is felt. What's the biggest challenge for you guys on a day-to-day basis?
1: Sure, sure. Well, you know, anytime I get that question, um, there's, there's always two categories um, of possible responses. And I think it's true for leadership that it's both art and science, right? And also, so, you know, on an objective uh, plane, uh, you know, you can look at uh, recent challenges like uh, the supply chain dynamics and how difficult it is uh, to find surplus food in an environment where manufacturers are struggling to supply the retail sector. Um, You know, that's been a very pressing and significant challenge for us. Uh, uh, You know, um, you know, just the day-to-day Uh, Struggles of making sure that you've got a workforce. You know, it's been difficult. We had a gal uh, resign a few weeks ago to go to work for a nonprofit in Wisconsin, and she's working from home. So, you know, we're certainly competing now nationally for talent, you know, and uh, so there's a lot of challenges uh, that aren't just uh, unique um, to the nonprofit sector. I think they're true across all the, you know, uh, employment sectors right now. Uh, You know, but, you know, if I was to say, like, what is the hardest? you know, most difficult challenge. You know, I, I don't really struggle with practical problems. I mean, uh, to be honest, you know, they have an, objective problems and, a, and an objective reality have pretty clear pathways towards resolution or acceptance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where I think it's difficult to be a leader right now is in the heart space. I mean, people are burnt out. There's a lot of division in this country, um, you know, and when you've got a lot of departures, they get positions, uh, that creates a real leadership challenge where you have to continue to try to motivate and inspire people, make sure you know they know you love them, uh, and you know, try to keep uh, just maintain optimism in a time where you, know, you don't always feel it. So you know, it's, there's been a lot of challenges, but you know, we tried to stay focused. I think we're doing a lot of great things down here, for sure.
0: So let's dig into that just a little bit, and then I want to talk about you and, and, and some of your personal uh, things that you had to overcome. But I'm wondering, too, you serve people. People who are hungry have food because of your and your team's efforts. So it's a people business, but sure. it's not just a people business because you don't always see these folks. You're, wor- you're in the day-to-day on logistics and getting this truck here and that truck there and this supply line filled. At the end of the day, when you go home and your wife and kids or whoever is waiting for you at home says, how'd you do today, dad? How was your day? Yeah, I mean, Is it about the people that you serve or is it about the people you're working with and, and trying to just to get the day-to-day done? What what motivates you that way?
1: Yeah, probably like in, in, a, in an ideal capacity, it's about the, the former right? You know, I mean, it's about the mission. It's about the mission forward. Now, But I I, I think well, probably most people that have served in any type of a, 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 an operation like this would tell you that it's their relationship with their co-workers, the people that are next to them on the line. I think soldiers will say the same thing. It's like, yeah. you know, I knew I had a mission to do, but it was the person next to me, you know, that, that I was fighting for. And so in many ways, you know, you tend to close ranks during, certainly during the pandemic where we've worked harder than we've ever worked before. You know, I think there's been a lot of that spirit and ethos. But you know, let me tell you, Brian, I, I, I think a lot of people have a perception like, you know, I'll bump into people at lunch and and be introduced and say, this is my friend, Danny. He he, he works down at the food bank and people will be like, oh, good for you. Yeah. And it's like, you know, like, yeah, you know, and I appreciate the sentiment. I I mean, I really, really do. Um, But I think that uh, people tend to overestimate the extent to which having a mission. Um, can get you through the tough times. I mean, what gets you through the tough times in any business is your is your refusal to quit. Um, you know, like like there are a lot of times where, you know, I feel deep, deep connection uh, and meaning and purpose in life as a result of this. There's, you know, a lot of times I go home with a headache, feeling sick, worried about my staff, worried about my kids for one reason or the next. Uh, and the only thing that can ever um, uh, help you get through those times in life is a little deeper reserve. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I've met, Uh, some real angels in this work, and I've met some real grumps in this work. And so it's really just about mindset to me.
0: Yeah. And let's talk about that. It's a perfect transition to where I think we're going to head is about mindset. And you're a go-getter and and you're getting it done, but it's not always that easy. And uh, this is Dash of of Grit. We talk about the hurdles you've overcome. I want to ask you about some times in your life when it wasn't so easy, when positive mental attitude or just stick-to-itiveness or grit wasn't enough to get you through. Can you share some of those stories with us?
1: Yeah. 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 Well, you know, I I mean, you had told me you we're going to ask this question and, you know, I, I gave a fair amount of time thinking about, well, what can I say that was of value, you know, to people in a way, you know, and uh, certainly I could give a pep talk. I could give a motivational speech. I could talk about, you know, grinding, grinding through and all that. Um, but in a way, I think I'm, I'm about to because, you know, there's certainly... Uh, a great deal of resolve that's required in confronting some of the bigger things in life, which, you know, hit you deep on the inside. You know, I lost my dad a year ago, uh, and mm. uh, he died six weeks before we cut the ribbon on our new building in camp. You know, and I could talk like, a lot for, like, oh, I'm still grieving.
0: That I of course. Yeah, I know how it feels too, and it won't go away anytime soon, Dan. I, I wish I could say differently. Uh, do you have your dad? Yeah. And he passed away a year and a half, two years ago. Um, and there it's amazing how all of a sudden, like a big wave, boom, just knocks you off your seat. So yeah, just, I'm just sorry about that. Now. Yeah, I do. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and we both miss him terribly. And, and, you know, it. I don't know how to explain when you're trying to work, you're trying to take care of your family. You're trying to take care of all the things you're trying to take care of, all the responsibilities you have. And then this very real thing happens. And the rest of the world expects you to move on and keep yeah. doing. And it's just not possible. And yet it's also not possible to stop and, and wait and, and life goes on. And it's just, I mean, I, I know more than enough people are listening now that know exactly and probably wish they could talk to us right now about their experiences. So Yeah.
1: Well, grief is a real thing. And, uh, you know, it happens uh, in the presence of everything else that you are confronting in your life. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's so many things that have come along with it that I, I didn't anticipate. You know, um, the, the existential concerns, you know, I guess I've always been a fairly philosophical guy and I've spent a lot of time thinking about those things. But, you know, um, I, I think that there's a, a certain awareness like, I'm the old guy now, you know, the family or, you know, but in so many ways, I feel like my dad taught me right up to the very end how life's to be lived and even how, how to die you know, the way he faced it with so much courage and strength, you know. Um, and so, so you know, that's certainly been an aspect of my experience. But, you know, one thing that I, I did like th- 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 think it might be helpful to share with the, you know, the viewers, listeners today to this podcast is this experience I had um, about 10 or 12 years ago working through this bout of um, pretty significant anxiety mm. that um, kind of caught me off guard uh, and, and, and it set me back a little bit and I had to spend a lot of time working through and I don't think you're ever done. You know, I think it's, you know, an anxiety kind of situation is a gift that keeps on giving, you know, Uh, but I think that
0: and talk about that a little bit of what was causing that anxiety. What were you feeling?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'll certainly do that. I I do want to acknowledge though, right now is a period of particular challenges for mental health. Now there are people that, um, as a result of factors in society, the pandemic, um, uh, coming back out, getting back into the workplace, mm-hmm. um, are experiencing anxiety maybe for the first time in their life. Um, maybe they're um, worried about what's wrong with them or what it could mean for them. And so today, so today, if you're that person, or if you've had struggles with mental health before, anxiety, depression, or whatever your situation may be, I'm talking to you today. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so this is my story. And Brian, I'll, I'll try to just keep it uh, high in sight. Um, but I'll just share that. I, and I'll, I'll just kind of rewind. You know, when I was a kid growing up, uh, we had a perfectly normal family environment up until I was 10 years old. And my mom was shopping at a Meyers grocery store and a display of toboggans that was way up on a shelf just fell down and fell right on top of her and knocked her out cold. And um, she just lost a bunch of weight, just got her goal pin from Weight Watchers, and she left was going good for her. She was about forty years old, yeah. And something happened when that toboggan display fell on mom. I think she got a head injury or just something. It awoke something in her, um, and it set about um, about a twelve to fourteen year struggle with severe anxiety bordering on agoraphobia. That totally changed everything about our life when I was a kid growing up. Mm. Uh, mom, uh, she she got so like when she would drive to work, she'd have panic attacks and she'd pull over and dad would have to go pick her up. And that led to a lot of depression. And she spent, you know, from the time I was 10 to about 24, 25, just sitting in the dark room, kind of in the back of the house, just trying to cope with life. And she was scared to go and get help. I think she was scared that they would take me and my brother Dave away from her. And it was a time where they didn't have the kind of pharmaceuticals and stuff. And and so I, 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 I kind of grew up knowing that there was something wrong with my mom, but nobody could put a finger on it. And, uh, you know, but it made me very sensitive to conversations about mental health. It made me really scared about what mental health could be, uh, how hard it could uh, hurt, uh, how bad it could be for a family.
0: Did you know then that it was mental health? Because I know there's been a big awakening in society where mental health is now something you can talk about. It's now something that's not so meant to be kept in in a closet somewhere. Did you know then, or did you know just something wasn't right?
1: Well, you know, I certainly knew something wasn't right, but mom was scared to um, approach a psychiatrist. Yeah. Uh, so she was so she stigma
0: go to see and everything me. else. Yep.
1: Yeah. A yep. neurologist. And she would do all these other things thinking that she could find some kind of a diagnosis. Well, you know, she never did. And, you know, it, was, it wasn't it was until after I'd gotten married, you know, um, my wife and I had been visiting over to see mom. And I just noticed how good she was doing, how she just seemed to be so at ease. And, you know, she was a lot more active and going to doing places. And I, and I said, Mom, what is going on? You seem to be doing great. She said, well, my doctor put me on an antidepressant. I was like, okay. Yeah. Well, you know, she, she was essentially 20 milligrams of Celexa away from being kind of her normal self. And it cost her a lot of happiness and a lot of years of her life. Yeah. But... But at the time i i i I just kind of thought that was a mom problem, you know and, and yeah. uh you know I've always been kind of a driven guy i i don't I don't think I was even conscious of the fact that like you know may, maybe there was a part of me that because I'd seen her go through this um it had built this wall or barrier, this sort of machismo that made me deny that I could be. Ever susceptible in any way to anything related to mental health, um, you know, because I didn't want that to be my experience. I knew the pain of it being hers, and I think it caused me to build a lot of barriers. And then I think when you look at the obsessive work habits that I brought into my career, and talk about grit, a lot of people grit, um, you know, and grind because they've got an anxiety problem and they're running from it. And and I don't think you can talk about you know guys like David Goggins you know, or, or people that really grind real hard without saying there is a certain neurological thing going on here.
0: Tell me and more I, about I that. that Tell me more about that. What's going on in there? Let's not leave it right at that. Cause I think you're absolutely right, but you've got firsthand experience. What's going on inside now that you look back, that's causing that drive, which is also causing the anxiety. It's almost like the snake eating its tail, isn't it?
1: Exactly. So, so I think there's a real relationship there because like, if I didn't have, um, both, uh, a, uh, almost infinite reservoir of energy, you know, uh, and, uh, and follow up. So obsessively, uh, I probably wouldn't have found the success that I have in my career, but I have to also recognize that my great strengths are a great weakness in another uh, context. And, you know, that, that energy, you know, the fact that when I sit down, I can't stop uh, bouncing my knee, you know, this is, uh, energy. Um, and, and I, and I have a baseline nervous setting of seven out of 10, eight out of 10. At rest, you know, you're just always so, going,
0: always up, yeah, always I just, moving. Yeah,
1: I'm back. Yeah, I, I'm sure. If I would have been a kid in today's society, they'd have me on yeah. all kinds of. Medication,
0: oh yeah, you know? right.
1: Um and uh, you know and I would never fault anyone who puts their kid on those medications, but I also would say, you know, we have to be careful you know, when we think about you know um, uh, pulling back our kids' natural tendencies in some ways. Yeah. And I think you know that's that's a different conversation.
0: Yeah. Right. But in
1: any regard, you know, for me though. Now, where it all kind of came to a head is uh, my dad had a heart attack in 2008. Uh, I was working a lot. I was 38 years old and um, drinking a ton of caffeine. and uh, uh, And I went out to give a speech. Give out a speech one day uh, in um, in Kent, Ohio. And I got there. I wasn't prepared. I was late when I got there, so I was already just humming. You know, I got up. There was a really big crowd. I had nothing prepared, which was never a problem. I would just get up and ring it. And in the middle of my speech, I felt my Heart started to pound and my hands started to tingle and go numb and the whole room started sw- uh, like moving and I got my palms were sweating and so I just felt like I was having a full-on heart attack. It was something that I had never experienced in my life. It hit me like a wave.
0: Yeah. And
1: um, you know, I don't know. Like, did, did you watch the Sopranos?
0: Yeah, I I watched those. I don't I, remember all of them, but uh, I watched yeah, it. So yeah.
1: like, yeah. So, so Tony Soprano had his very first panic attack while I was out feeding the ducks, you know, yeah, so the yeah. ducks flew. Away, right? and he has his first panic attack. He passes out at, yeah. the, at the barbecue. And, uh, you know, he goes to see Dr. Melfi and he's like, what happened? Well, yeah. I, it was very similar. Like, I was in the middle of the speech. I'd never had anything like that before. Um, and, uh, you know, I went to the hospital thinking I had a heart attack and they ran some tests. And of course, came back and told me that I had an anxiety attack. And
0: how did that make you feel when they, when you came back and said, no, nope, it's your, it's anxiety. Did that make you feel weak? Did that make, you know, right at that moment, you know better now, but did it make you feel confused, challenged, make you more anxious? How did that make you feel?
1: I, I was humiliated.
0: you okay. I was humiliated. Wow. Um, I was, wow. I, I
1: was, humili- I was humiliated by the experience of not being able to finish my speech um, by, you know, and be, being on the receiving end of the authentic and genuine concern of that hundred people that saw me have a total meltdown in front of them that day, it embarrassed me to no end um, because, you know, my whole view of the world was it on me. I can take it no matter what, you know, I got, I was 32 when I got hired to be CEO of this food bank, one of the youngest CEOs in the country. And it's because I get after it, you know, and, okay. and, and, yeah. work like crazy. and so for me, you know, getting that diagnosis, it was like, what? I, my, you know, my, I called my wife who was at Giaga Lake with the kids. She pulled them out of the lake and came to pick me up at the hospital, and she was like, "What happened to you?" And I was like, "You'll never believe this." So I, I, I went home that night and, and started my life as someone with an anxiety disorder. I didn't really know it at the time, but you know, I, I got on the treadmill that night and went for a long run, and I was like, "What happened to me today? Yeah, what, what do I do about this?" <clears throat> well, I woke up the next day. You know, my first thought was, I hope that doesn't happen again today. And that led me to think about it at lunchtime and at two o'clock and the next day and the day after that. And I went back to that uh, same Lions Club and talked to him the following Thursday. And I'd never been so scared before I got up to give a public speech. And I never had public speaking anxiety. Never. Yeah. But I was scared to death that would happen again. And, and these were the seeds being planted of this fear of public speaking that this anxiety disorder that then started creeping to creep into other areas of my life. I was like, well, oh, geez, you know, for a staff meeting, I was worried I was going to have a panic attack at a staff meeting, or when mm-hmm. I go to have lunch with an influential businessman. So it's really started to creep into my life.
0: So I'm interested in if it's creeping into your life like this, like if it's a broken leg, you got a cast and you're off work for a while, or if it's a heart attack, you're laying in bed for a while. You were told you have an anxiety issue and it caused all that stuff, and yet you jumped right back in. And you're talking about how you're, this is happening and this is more. I mean, did it get worse before it gets better or wow. A lot worse. So you, you didn't take the advice. You didn't take the, you actually kind of took it like the he man that you are. You said, no, I'm fine. You're not going to stop me. And you just dove in harder.
1: Yeah. I, I, yeah. Wow. There was a lot of stigma.
0: That's almost sad. There still is. Yeah, there is. So, so then what? I interrupted you. Go ahead. It is sad. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's sad that that we treat. It, it's it's sad that we treat a diagnosis of mental. I can't even say it. Problem, right? It's almost like there's such <laughs> yeah. a stigma on it that you, you you just put it aside. You put it in the back back burner. You say, nope, not me. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And yet, if you had a broken finger, everyone would know. You'd have all kinds of medication. You'd be canceling a couple of Zoom meetings because you couldn't get online. But you just kept on going. I think people do that now and it's sad. I
1: didn't tell anybody about it. Nobody. Uh, And uh, it got harder and harder, you know. And uh, every day uh, I was tormented by this, you know, spiraling, escalating fear of these anxiety attacks and not just the fear of the anxiety attack, but having them. You know, uh, because, you know, once that, you know, cat's out of the bag, you know, uh, so I was, you know, I really struggled. And, you know, my brother, who's a clinical psychologist, you see, Dave took that experience growing up and he, he drew, he, he leaned into it and I did the opposite and yeah. ran from it. Yeah. Um, you know, and I always was like, Dave, mental health is your problem. Mom, that's you guys. I'm on this side of it. I'm, yeah. I'm. I'm the grinder. I'm the successful one. And, you know, I talked to Dave about it. And finally, I just kind of clean. I was like, bro, dude, I'm struggling, man. I mean, I'm having all the same diet anxiety. And he's like, we should go see a therapist and talk to him. And it was not a lot unlike Tony Soprano's first visit with Dr. Melfi, man. I You know, I went in there and I was like,
0: I'm, I'm fine. not comfortable. I'm like, yeah.
1: Nothing wrong with me. I, there's nothing wrong with me. I, I, I didn't want to sit. I refused to sit on the sofa. I, I I asked her if we could sit at the table you know, with my pad folio in front of me and a suit and tie. I, I just was not, you know, open uh, to having, you know, these discussions. Well, I think she kind of, I, in fact, I, I, I've imagined a lot of times since then in her notepad, she probably wrote like, this guy's full of shit. Like on yeah. day one, like, yeah. 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 I think yeah. she had my number from the, from the start. Yeah. But I think she saw a lot of people like me. I think I'm not the first, you know, executive to come through her doors, no. you know. And um, so so we spent about six or eight weeks together, and she gave me this nice little checklist, and I kind of learned a little bit about anxiety. And she said, you know, you should think about taking some kind of a medication. And I was like, not a chance. Yep. Not a chance. You know, I've spent my whole life hunting around firearms. I'm not going to, there's no way I'm going to put myself in a position where if I want a security clearance someday, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about mental health. I'm not going on a medication for mental health.
0: Yep.
1: You know? And, and, uh, she was like, well, you should think about it and, and do what's the most compassionate thing. And I was like, okay, I'll think about it. Well, you know, uh, the stuff I was doing was working, but uh, I still was struggling. If I if I get scheduled to to speak, I would start having this anticipatory anxiety, and I get up in front of people. And you know what? I never canceled the speech. I never avoided. I never took a day off work. I never failed to answer the bell. I just suffered, in silence. And um, so you know, I finally went down. I got the prescription filled. I stuck it in my my safe for a year. <laughs> I was so scared to take it. Yeah. So scared to give in. And finally, you know, I went back and started. She was like, "What are you doing? Just try it." I was like, "Well, okay." So I did. It was probably like, probably the best thing I ever did for myself, Brian. I mean, um, it's the same stuff my mom takes twenty milligrams of Celexa. Is that right in, in the morning? Wow. Yeah, and and uh, it just took my number, my my resting anxiety number from seven to like five and a half or six. Right. Didn't change the way I think. It just calmed me down. And and. uh it just made my life a lot more comfortable. It's almost like, it's weird because it doesn't affect you cognitively like drinking, but it's like two beers relaxed. Yeah, yeah. That's the yeah. way I tell people it is. Yeah. You know, uh, but uh, it's really what I needed. Uh, and, and, and that was about 10 years ago. And, and when I look back and see pictures of me, mm. not, just, not just then, and I, I just, it breaks my heart to, to see how bad I struggled every day When I look at pictures before them, when I had all these signs, but I didn't acknowledge it, Uh, and I think I lived such a more, so so much less life,
0: Brian. Back then, when you were going, now that you can see it and you wish, like, don't all of us wish we could, you know, either that one thing or those 100 things that we could do over again, and and it would change things. And the, the question I have for you, there's a lot of people that are listening right now that haven't admitted it. They feel it. They wonder now. They're hearing you talk about it. Um, you know, we can talk about what what they might do, but I'm interested to know from you. Now that you have changed, used to grit, you know, hard driving, get it done. No, 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 stopping me. I'm a real man's man. And now you've got your nervous level down to that acceptable level. You're still grinding it. Let's talk about success out of that. Are you more efficient? Are you more happy? Are you more effective? Is there something that's not getting done now because you're not? just pushing so hard. I mean, what's the outcome of, of now I, accepting it and going forward?
1: Uh, you know what, for me, I, I get after it every bit as hard as I ever do. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm an older man now. Like, so, you know, I mean, when I do jujitsu, I don't roll like I used to, I promise you that, you know, yeah. like my martial arts has to change. you know, but like, uh, I, 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 I think for me more than anything, I, I was just wired. I, I really, I'll be honest. I think it was the medication more than anything that made a difference for me. Yeah. You know, just, just simply because I was just hardwired that way. I mean, I definitely think like learning to meditate, I have this like anxiety checklist my therapist gave me. And it's like, you know, if you're having a lot of anxiety, are you working out? Are you getting eight hours of sleep? Do you have a big deadline? You know, like, so you can step back and say like, these are things that contribute to anxiety. And if, if I read down through this list and I see like, all right, this is why I'm above a red line and maybe there's something I can do or delegate, you know, maybe, maybe just on the margin, I, you know, I've been able to use those. Now, I think simply having that that medication in my life has helped me be a lot more just comfortable in my own skin. Yeah. I experienced a lot less anxiety and meetings and stuff like that. You know, and, and also I, I think too, another thing that really changes is when you're early in your career, you don't really have a track record to stand on. Mm-hmm. And 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 so you you're really, really wrapped up in what people think of you. Well, I've been CEO down here for 20 years. If you don't think I can do it by now, you know, like. I'm not going to convince you. Yep. There's nothing yep. I can do. So I am who I am. Um, you know, but it's interesting, you know, here it is 2022. I, I did a podcast in January of this year where I told the story and I it, it, it confessed to taking this medicine for the very first mm-hmm. time publicly. Yeah. Um, and I, of course, I've had a lot of people reach out to me and, you know, say it was a brave thing to do. It doesn't feel brave to me, you know, um, I, but um you know, I, I didn't talk about it for all those years because I didn't feel like I was safe to. I I I I thought that somehow it would fundamentally shift people's perception of me. So it meant a lot to me to put some years on the table there of high performance so that you know people could see, you know, yeah, you can do it with these types of conditions. I still struggle with it from time to yep. time. I wouldn't lie. I still have it, you know, but yep. you know. Uh, but for 20 years now, you know, I've been showing up. And so if that's you today, if you're, you know, someone that's listening or watching or paying attention, and you're just feeling like, man, this is really affecting my daily life. I'm so depressed. I can't, I don't feel like getting up from work. I feel miserable or, you know, I have anxiety. I feel like I'm having anxiety attacks. I dread going to meetings. I dread sitting in meetings. If I have to speak publicly, you know, when I'm driving alone, I fear anxiety attacks. I have thoughts that scare me. You know, that may be what you're experiencing today. And I think there was a magical moment when I met with my therapist for the first time and kind of told her, okay, this is what I'm experiencing. And she just smiled and said, You're going to be okay. Yeah. You're not crazy. And that's the magic moment. You're not crazy. Yeah. You're going through something right now that um, there's a pathway through. It might not feel like it. You know, so I want people to take comfort in that. I also want people to realize. That the, admitting that you have the problem, is, is, is that takes a lot of strength and courage. Yes. Um, but, but having lived with it your whole life is a testament to how strong you are. You see, it isn't like all, mm. you're, you're <laughs> strong all these years, you, you, you stay quiet about it. And then you're weak when you say you go and need help. It, you are gradually getting stronger every day you fight this fight. And so you're never weak in it. You have to stay in it though, and you're I guess the only time you're weak in it is when you give in to it and and even and there'll be times when you feel like it
0: yeah and 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 you're going to feel like you've lost, and you're going to feel like you're not at your best, but when the i I call the definition of success having a dream and not giving up on it yet i mean as long as you're trying. But uh, you know, I think of myself, I, I think of the airplane analogy and, and the airplanes in trouble. The first thing they tell you to do is put the, the, the gas, the air mask on yourself so that you can help other people. It's a similar analogy when you're building a castle on sand or a castle on rock. I mean, you could build a really nice house on sand, but man, it ain't going to last. And yeah. or, or you can take it back, take it back a second. Do the hard work on yourself and your foundation and build from there. The Dash of Grit podcast is brought to you by Spire. Spire creates results-driven digital marketing and websites that help companies grow. Are you ready to break through the barriers that hold your company back? Take your growth higher with Spire. Learn more at spiread.com. So, Dan, I can't thank you enough for sharing the story. It takes a lot of vulnerability and a lot of class to, uh, to, um, to share it. I think I wish it didn't take as much courage as people think it takes. Uh, yeah. and I know you don't have an issue with that anymore. And so if, if one person is out there that, that feels like they could uh, you know, benefit from talking with you about this or about the food bank or anything else that you've got going on, is it okay if they reach yeah. out to you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. My email address is dflowers at acrfb.org. You might be able to put it out there, Brian, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, too. But, yeah, you know, I'm glad to help people in any, any way I can. And, um, you know, um, kindness uh, isn't a sign of weakness. Um, vulnerability isn't a sign of weakness. Uh, you're stronger than you think you are. You just got to keep out, keep keeping the game. You know, one, one thing I would mention, too, a couple tips for people um, yeah. that may be struggling with anxiety before we hang out, Brian, is cardio. You know, like uh, I get a lot of cardio, and that's a huge thing. Um, just the natural endorphins that you get from it will help relieve your anxiety. If you've got a big speech, a big project, if you get some cardio before you go in, you're always going to be better off. Yep. Uh, and and I always recommend too, if you've got a big presentation of some kind to get, if you're going to be speaking in public, then you've gone through something like I've gone through and had like an anxiety meltdown in front of people. Like and now I write my speeches out. Like I doing these kind of things, I don't worry about it anymore. Yep. But like if I have to perform in front of a group and there's an expectation, some level of formality, I always write it out word for word and I practice it. And if you get up in front of the group and you're vibing and you're feeling good, you'll be better off because you were so prepared to begin with. And if you're not vibing, lock in, read your speech and live to fight another day. So that's what you got to do. And um, if you do those two things, get your cardio, write your speech before you give it, you're going to take care of your anxiety issue 95%.
0: Yep, and when that doesn't work, go get some help. And I think that's the that's the key. Take care of yourself and get it done, and don't don't uh, don't hold on to that forever because it's not going to go away. Dan, thank you. This has been dash of grit. Sometimes grit is about getting through your issue. In this case, grit is asking for help and going and getting some help for some very important things. And so I appreciate your sharing the story. Folks, if you're, you uh, if you're interested in more stories of grit, both personal and business, uh, you'll find them here wherever you hear your podcast. This is Dash of Grit. I'm Brian Lovelock, Dan Flowers from the Akron Canton Regional Food Bank. Thank you for sharing your story on a Dash of Grit. Yeah,
1: thanks, Brian. Stay hard on everybody.
0: Take care. This is a Dash of Grit.
1: Recipes for success from courageous leaders who overcome challenges and build great things.